Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. For the opportunity to be with you. Pastor Linda said next year we're going to schedule Pastor James for all February Sundays, and I'm going to get like the May 60 degree ones I'll be able to drive out. But no, it's always a blessing to be here with you. Uh, we are particularly excited because uh, I understand Ash Wednesday was uh, a, a blessing as always here at uh, your church, your congregation, and that means we're entering into the six Sundays that can comprise the Lenten season, and so um, the leadership here, and uh, I'm going to do it at my church too, we're going through one book of the Bible during Lent, all six Sundays, we've kind of divided up the Sundays. And we're going through together the book of Galatians. And so I want to invite you to open up your copy of the Bible to Galatians. I've also got the verses up here on the screen. If you've got them on your phone. Used to be we'd say turn in your Bibles. Now we say turn on your Bibles to Galatians. But whatever. uh, Just just get there. And we're going to be going through. God willing. We're going to be going through this. I'll be here this week. God willing next week. Pastor James will be bringing part three, and uh, we'll, we'll carry this through the six weeks of Lent. Why don't we start by just tackling it, just reading it. Let's just start with the word. Uh, I, I'll just read it along. I can't do both, so yeah, and then we'll go back. You don't have to scroll through the verses. But they'll, they'll be there, but uh, here we go. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him said before, I'll say it again. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. The word of the Lord. So, uh, I don't know if you all eavesdrop. You probably don't do this, right? But you ever at the mall or at the diner or somewhere and somebody picks up the phone and you hear half of a conversation and you're intrigued so deeply because you're trying to figure out what in the world the other half is? Is that? I mean, you guys never do that. You never listen in. You mind your own business. But don't you ever lean in when you hear something? No. Yeah. I was just as shocked as she was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, look. Hey, there was a dead grizzly bear in my trunk. You know, and you're just like, I want to know so much more about that, right? You're at the mall. Listen to me. Listen to me. Cut the blue wire. Not the red. The blue. I know there's a clock ticking. Evacuate the hostages. Call Jack Bauer. Do not. Right? You're like, honey, you, no, no, no. Keep shopping. I'm, I'm going to, all right? I want to be here. I want to hear this, right? All right. So imagine, uh, for our purposes today, imagine you're at the diner, and uh, you see the guy behind you. Maybe he's on his lunch break or whatever, but you can kind of tell. There's context clues, right? That here's a guy, and he's dressed at in the medical scrubs, he's got the white lab coat on, phone rings, right? He picks it up, yeah? 
Uh-huh. No. What? You, you know better. You, and you thought you were helping? Who told you to do that? Who told you? Oh, I see. All right, two things. I'll deal with him. I'll deal with them later. But you, you should know better. You know who I am, right? Yeah. You know where I learned this stuff, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. So how I was just there. Do not, under no sermon, do not ever, do not add five mLs of saline to that solution. Do not. We may have caught it. it no, no, no. I'm saying we may have caught it just in time, and the patient might just live. I'll be there as soon as I can, right? You're going, okay, we can learn a couple things from that, right? First of all, here's a person who is an expert, presumably in doctrine. You're starting to do the math. You're saying, okay, there's a patient, and somehow this guy was just there, and he knows this case, and somebody wanted to add to his treatment. Somebody convinced the person who's working with him to add to his treatment when his treatment was just fine. And not only did they not help by adding, apparently by adding to this guy's treatment, they could have they maybe, maybe killed this guy. And so he's saying, look, you know who I am. You know where I got this, apparently. And you're trying to think, man, is he, did he invent this treatment? Is he the, I mean, he has this great authority. And you understand that, 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 that he's angry at two people, the people who, who kind of moved in on his, his treating of the patient. But he's also angry for the people who should have known better, who fell for it. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to get there as soon as I can. But, but it's not just that he's taking it personally. It's that it's, there's life and death situation here, right? And this guy's got to act on this, that someone moved in on the, the pure treatment he was given and convinced him to change it, to add to it, and in adding to it, it may have destroyed the whole thing. That's about what we got in the book of Galatians, okay? Paul, the book of Galatians is like that. Paul is an apostle, and you're hearing, you're getting to hear half of the conversation. You're hearing Paul Firing back to this church in a letter. Remember, anytime you read Galatians, you're technically reading other people's mail. It's a federal offense to open a lot of the New Testament. But, you know, you, you understand, when he writes to Galatians, he, you're getting half that conversation. And you're starting to piece together some of these same things. Paul, we know Paul, we, we know a lot about this letter. There's a lot we can piece together. Paul was a... Jew. He was not just any Jew, he was a very moral Jew, a leader Jew. And because he was a leader in Judaism, he realized there that uh, in Jerusalem that there was this offshoot, this like sect of Judaism. They didn't know what to do with these followers of this guy, Jesus, who they claim is the Messiah, and they claim he, he was raised from the dead. And it started gaining traction and growing, and Paul said, we've got to snuff this out, because, right, this is not pure Judaism. This is a cult. This is a sect. And he was on his way to Damascus to to, you know, persecute these Christians, to get them to shut up, throw them in jail, whatever. He'd even, you know, some had died on his watch. So perhaps even to exterminate them, literally, if they wouldn't listen. And he was on his way until he did what? He met the risen Jesus himself and received from Jesus this message. So he was a persecutor, and then he became a great advocate of the very, the very one, Jesus Christ, that he was trying to snuff out this gospel message. He became a proclaimer, a preacher of it, Right? And so what he would do, you know the story, <clears throat> many of you, he, he, he would go and uh, first he kind of dwelt on this and he received from the Lord this gospel, this good news. It was confirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. Eventually the, 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 the church sent him out 
on a mission, and he began preaching and teaching to many parts of, of the world that were mostly Gentile, and Gentile people started following the Jewish Messiah. He couldn't believe it. Turns out this gospel's for everybody, and so he just kept preaching and preaching. He would plant little churches, get them started, then he would go off and plant other churches, and occasionally he would find out about how the churches were doing, and he would write these letters. That happened at Philippi, so he wrote the church, you know, Philippians, right? Ephesus, he wrote Ephesians to the church at Rome. He wrote Romans, and that, you know, that explains why. So the church at Galatia. Now, most of these letters follow the same pattern. It's like Paul, like our letters follow the same pattern, right? Dear so-and-so, small talk, small talk, here's why I'm writing, you know, love you, sincerely. There's form. Same thing in uh, this time, but they would start with the author first. They would say, instead of sincerely so-and-so at the end, they would start by saying, Paul, an apostle of, you know, to the, and then here comes the deer, to whoever. And then there would be all this small talk in Philippians, Ephesians, even Corinthians, all the other letters. They'd have this, like, Paul would, he would find something to commend them. You know what I mean? Like in Philippians, it's like, I thank God every time I think of you, you know? Or First Thessalonians, hey, you guys are hanging in there. It's persecuted. Like, there's always something. Then he would eventually get to the issue in the letter. Galatians has none of that. Paul, like, I'm Paul. You're the Galatians. What's going on? Right? He like jumps right in. There, it's like there's no, it's not that he's being mean. It's that there's something so urgent that it's like there's no time, uh, no time for, uh, for small talk, right? And so he, uh, <laughs> the, the background that uh, as we'll read, as we'll study this, this series, you'll see for yourself, and some of you already know, I just want everybody to be on board before we, you know, <clears throat> before the train leaves the station, we want to make sure everybody's on board. The background, what he's, what the, these people that came in, there were these false teachers, okay? These were the Judaizers. These were, uh, if that doesn't mean anything to you, these were Jewish background converts to Christianity, okay? And <clears throat> they, would, they would be in fellowship with these Gentile background converts to Christianity. And these uh, Jewish background converts would sweep in and claim to have all this authority, and they would tell these Gentile converts that, well, you've believed in Christ for salvation, and that's good. Okay? They weren't against being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, oh, you think you have a right standing before a holy God because you've put your faith and trust in what Jesus the Messiah did for us on the cross, right? Well, the Judaizers would say, well, that, that's good, that's good. But if you want to be truly pleasing to God, you know, if you, you've started out, like, really good, like, believe in Christ, all that's important, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to really be truly pleasing to God, you know that's not enough, right? You have to not only put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you also have to follow the ceremonial laws of Moses. You know that, right? And particularly the three outward, or most obvious, you know, ways to follow the law of Moses is, is like, you have to become sort of ethnically Jewish. And so that means take the mark of circumcision. For the men, you have to be circumcised. For everybody, you know, it's important we, we go back to the kosher laws, the dietary laws, right, the, the ceremonial stuff, and then we do all the feasts and fasts of Israel, including all the, absorbing all the Sabbaths. And, you know, you, you know you got to do that, right? I mean, you do want to please God, don't you? Right? And all the Gentile Christians were like, well, well yeah, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, I, yeah, I, if, if, that's, if that's what we're supposed to do, it's like... I, Listen, Paul told you it's like you could go straight to Jesus. That's not exactly true. You, you kind of get to Jesus through Judaism. And if you kind of stop there first, then you get to Jesus. I, I thought you knew that. No, 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 Jesus is important. We're all for Jesus. But it's not, just, it's not just you have a right standing before God because of what Christ did. It's that you have a right standing before God because of what Christ did. And now to kind of, you know, really top that off, 
you need to go with these, uh, these uh, uh, extra things. And they're not really extra. They're, re- they're really, really important, right? So Paul, how do you think Paul feels about that, right? And Paul is not just saying, he's not just writing a letter here going, well, no, 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 that's some wrong doctrine. For him, it's life and death. For him, it's everything. No, no, no. Now, look, I want to pause right here. Before we spend six weeks on this, <clears throat> I will grant you, this seems so remote, right? Like, doesn't this seem like a remote issue? Like, we're about to spend six weeks on a letter that's fundamentally about that. Paul's firing back. No, 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 no. It's not justification by faith plus these other things. It's justification by faith alone. And you might be thinking, if I'm you, you might be thinking, like, that's, that's a little antiquated, which would be a nice way of saying, we're going to be bored for six weeks. Like, that's not an issue we struggle with. I don't think. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to leave here, and, like, as you're walking out, munching on a bagel, somebody's going to come up to you, good sermon, right? Yeah, why? You know, I'm a leader at this church. Why? Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was a good sermon. Yeah, we need all that about Christ. It was good. We took communion and all that stuff. But you know, uh, that, co- that, uh, that bagel better be kosher. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Where are you going to lunch today? Red lobster? <laughs> you know God hates shellfish. You know, or what, right? Like, wh- what? You know, are you, you going to have bacon? You know, what? It, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to be like, are, are you guys all following the, um, you know, the uh, 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 entire Torah, all the ceremonial laws of Judaism? If you're not, you're not really a real church. You can call yourself, you know, city on a hill community gathering of heathen but you can't call yourself sitting on a hill community church because a true church wouldn't do that i just don't think that's a i don't think that's going to happen you know what i mean if your church is like mine it's like more bacon more bacon can we get more bacon right i mean you've got jewish believers in the church like could we just back off the bacon a little bit come on right <laughs> we're free in christ you know so if anything it's like the opposite problem you know you got these uh, uh other issues my point is it's so remote you would think that this book was such a remote issue as what i just told you i mean that that's it, right? People are coming in, sneaking in on what Paul said, which is, if you want to go straight to Jesus, go straight to Jesus. You do not have to take on these, these uh, ritualistic trappings left over from Judaism to be pleasing to God. The only way to be pleasing to God is belief in what Jesus did to make you pleasing to God. That's it. You don't have to do that. You would think that'd be so, that, so remote that this book would be relegated to sort of the back burner of Scripture, and, you, and you'd never hear about it much. But the opposite, in fact, is true. This is one of the most popular and the most preached upon books in all of the scriptures. Why? Why? This, thing, this, this little issue that seems so remote, why is this so popular and important and, and, and over and over again it's preached on? And the answer is because while the specific manifestation of this thinking is remote, the temptation for human beings add just a little bit of their own touch to their salvation is a temptation that every generation has faced since Galatians. And just to be just a little bit our own savior, and over and over again, we've got the word of God reminding us of the good news. And what Paul is simply saying, his response, he answers with not just this specific situation, but a principle that resounds through the ages, and it's this. The gospel, hmm? faith in Jesus plus anything equals no gospel at all. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Got that? And that principle that Jesus plus, the Jesus plus gospel, the Jesus and gospel is no gospel at all. 
It's no good news at all. You got it? And the moment you get that, the moment that this justification sinks in, the reason people preach it over and over again, from Martin Luther, the moment he realized we are justified by faith, that sounds all theological, and we're going to talk about what that means. Some of you are like, justified? I thought that was a show on FX. With the, there is so, I get, there's like one person who's with me on that. There, I get that that's so remote. That's such a, a you know, justification by faith. All that stuff's so theological. And what you're going to see over these six weeks is when that takes root in your heart, the man or the woman, the instant they, this dawns on them, and it's going to dawn on you, some of you, in different sermons throughout this series. Some of you, it's going to already dawn on you. It needs to kind of re-dawn on you. But the moment that sinks in at the heart level, I am approved by God through nothing I've done but because of Jesus. The moment that happens, you are instantly free. The world has no hold on you. Right? Isn't that true? The man or the woman who seeks nothing but the will of God is instantly free from all the wills that are constantly (laughs) wanting us to do things in our culture. Instant freedom that works itself out in every area of our life. And that's why over and over again this gets preached on, and that's why, especially during Lent, a time of humbling ourselves before God, of remembering that, like Ash Wednesday, we are only dust but we are loved by you. What an important time to do it, and that's why we're doing it during Lent. So anyway, here we go. Verse by verse through the verses I just read will form our sermon for today. Uh, Paul, he says, an apostle. Uh, You know, not from men or by man. Uh, Just for the record, a a really like capital A apostle. I don't know what your church background or culture is, but there are people who call themselves apostle even today. And what they mean by that is they have some administrative gifts that can oversee lots of different ministries or churches, apostolic gifts. What they do not mean is that they are a capital A, like, apostle, like Paul. And the, what the difference is? A, a true apostle was given the commission by Jesus himself. There is a sense in which, right, I'm, I'm a preacher of the gospel. There's a sense in which I've been commissioned by God himself. But technically, though I was commissioned, I got a call from God, I was commissioned by a group of people. You understand? I was commissioned by a body, by, by a church. So I can't say that I received a call from God, but I also literally received my charge and my commission from Jesus himself, bodily appearing. Paul could say that. And so could Peter, and so could John. And so that, those are capital A apostles, not from men or by man. In other words, I didn't come up with the gospel because I sat there and reflected on it for a long time. He got it by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He goes on to say, look, I'm not a lone wolf here. I've talked this over with Peter, James, everybody else, all the brothers who are with me. Okay, this is not just my teaching, my doctrine to the churches at Galatia. And what's he say? Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And in these next verses, he gives like the gospel in a nutshell. Before he talks about what these counterfeit gospels are trying to do, I want you to see the, how he presents the, the gospel in a nutshell. It's, it's short, but it's powerful. And he answers four questions. The first, look at verse four. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of, God, of our God and Father. First thing Paul wants you to see, when, when, when you think about the gospel, you think about answering some questions here. First, who are we? Who are we? That's right. The, the, the word here, when it comes to who we are, it says, no, I want, the word I want you to notice is the word, the word rescue. Does everybody see that? Who gave himself our sins to rescue us. That word, rescue, implies that we are what? We are in need of rescue. We are lost. We are helpless. It's funny. Jesus was a great teacher, right? 
I mean, they called him rabbi. He did all the teaching. Think about all the teaching Jesus did. Nowhere in this little gospel in a nutshell is Jesus teaching ever mentioned. Huh? No, nowhere is it like, you know, who, who taught us a bunch of things so that we could like learn how to live. It's not in there. Who gave himself to do what? To rescue. Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> the average person on the street, if you say, what is a Christian? And I know James just preached a series called Christian, so don't, don't pretend you hadn't heard that. You're not the average person on the street. You're the average person. You're, you're, we're in the church, okay? But anyway, it, on the street, if you ask somebody, what is a Christian? What they'll tell you most likely is, well, this is a person who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ. Is that fair? This is a person who follows, oh, and also who lives by the example of Jesus Christ because they are a Christian, so they live like Christ. They follow. What Paul's saying here is wrong. Why? Because that's impossible. Try to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Don't even try to do it for a week. Just do it for a day. Do it for an hour, right? Read the Sermon on the Mount. Get up, walk out, and be like, nailed it. <laughs> Crushed it. What are you doing? Gouging my eye out or whatever. Like, right? Like, you, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Whatever. The whole point is everybody thinks a Christian is someone who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul's saying, that's impossible. A Christian is someone who has been rescued by Jesus Christ. Someone lost, helpless, and hopeless who King Jesus reached down and rescued. And that's why it's impossible. It, is, it, it makes Paul incredulous to hear about a Christian boasting, a Christian bragging. The guy in the news standing there in this great snowstorm as the, the rescuers pulled him out of a burning building. The firefighters had to fight both snow and fire and pulls him out. Hey, that was a pretty great rescue I just got rescued in, wasn't it? I'm the man. You'd be like, I don't think you understand rescuing, right? You did nothing but get yourself in trouble. You avoided warnings, right? The real hero is the one who pulled you out. That's why Christians don't go, hey, we go, Jesus. You say, Look at him. Why? Because it's... If you followed his teachings perfectly, you could brag a little bit. But if all you did was get rescued, that frames things very differently. Imagine you see a drowning woman. <clears throat> Religion is throwing a drowning woman a manual on how to swim. <laughs> I even put it in your language. I put it, it's very accessible, right? It's, it's a graphic novel form. You know, you could just, it's just pictures, right? It's even digital, right? Like, I'm, I'm really trying to be accommodating. But religion is throwing a drowning woman a manual on how to swim. Jesus Christ is the rope. Jesus Christ is a rescue. That's a big difference between a religion and a rescuing one. Jesus is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer because what we need most is not more education to improve us. We are lost and helpless and we need a rescuer. Now, the old-timey word for this doctrine is total depravity. I still use that because it definitely catches people off guard. You know, they're holding their innocent little baby. How would you describe his spiritual nature? Total depravity. You know, it's like throws them off. But that, that, that word maybe, what they mean is this. What they mean is utter inability to save oneself. That's what total depravity means. It doesn't mean that you've never had one good thought. You're like, what? I bought a Hallmark card. I sent it. I'm not totally depraved. So people misunderstand that. What it means is you have nothing in you that can save yourself. 
complete and utter inability to save. That's what the old timers mean when they say total depravity. That's what it means. We need to be rescued. We can't rescue ourselves. So how did he rescue us? What did Jesus do? Look at verse 4 again. He gave himself for our sins. What that means is he gave himself means he died in behalf of, on behalf of, in place of. He made a sacrifice that was substitutionary. It was a substitute sacrifice. Jesus didn't just go to the cross and sort of die generally. He was a martyr who died. He died for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And that means that Jesus has done all that is necessary. Think about this for a second. If he died for our sins... That means he paid the penalty. He paid the price for our sins. Watch this. That means that all who are in Christ, we will never fall back into condemnation. Do you see why? Because if we fell back into condemnation, that would be getting payment double for sins. Jesus paid it all. And it's unjust then to require a second payment if the debt is paid in full. That's, that's why every Christ, everyone who is in Christ will never fall back into condemnation. Because God's not going to require double payment for sins. That's unjust. It's not fair. And because he paid it all and we are in him, our sins have been paid in full. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. What did the Father do? Well, for one thing, he planned it. You see that? According to the will of our God and Father. He, he authored salvation. And if you go back to verse 1, he accepted the work of Jesus Christ. See that? Because uh, 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 God the Father did what? He raised him from the dead, thus accepting the work of Jesus Christ, giving us grace and peace. And maybe the best question of all, why did he do it? Why did God save? The answer is <clears throat> sheer grace. Love. Ponder that. Like you, you may have done some dumb stuff in your life, and you may have been beaten up. You may have been kind of shipwrecked. You may have had some real broken hearts, some turmoil. Some of you have walked through real deep valleys, and some of you have walked through real dark nights. But the one thing you can never say, you can never say for one minute that you've been unloved. Now, you've acted unlovable, maybe. I have, too. Let me take out the maybe, because I just preach on total depravity. You've acted unlovable. You've been selfish when you should have been selfless. But through it all, the one thing no human can say is that they have ever, for one minute, been unloved sheer grace no other motivation and it's the only way to make sense of verse 5 if it's sheer grace if it's all what he did not what we did then this verse 5 makes sense to whom be the glory forever and ever amen look if we rescued ourselves if i sauntered up to god one day and was like look i've been i've been living a life of sin i'm ready to do this salvation thing how's this work you 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 delight to forgive sin that's great. I delight to commit sin. This is going to be terrific. So, so, so what? Like we get this, we get this exchange. You know, quite honestly, <clears throat> quite honestly, you know, I was thinking for a minute that I was going to sign with Hinduism, and uh, you know, they were going to, they were going to, I was going to take my talents to Mecca for a while. But then, I, you know what? I'm going to be on Team Christian. And to be honest, you're you're lucky to have me on your team. So today's my signing day, and I've got my hat, and I've got my jersey, and uh, you know, let's let's do this thing, right? If I sauntered up to God in my pride and said, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm going to sign with Team Christian. If that's how it worked, then this verse would read this, to whom be the glory, most of the glory to God for many, many years and just a day or two to me. Right? Just a little bit of glory to me. Or, okay, say that's ridiculous. I didn't rescue myself, but say I participated a little bit in my rescue, right? For people who say total depravity, total inability to save, don't we do something? Well, to the degree you did that is to the degree that verse 5 is untrue. 
So if you rescued yourself a little bit, then the verse should read, to whom be most of the glory forever and ever. With a little footnote, you read down, and a little bit for you up top, right? Look what you did. You can pat yourself on the back. You can congratulate yourself for the part you played in rescuing yourself. But we didn't rescue yourself, so he can't share the glory, nor should he. He alone gets glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. He saved us when we couldn't save ourselves through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And all who take their hope, which is always in ourselves, whether it's a secular way of salvation, get a bunch of money, get you know, a good life, and you'll be saved, you know, you'll have a good memory, or whether it's a religious way of salvation, follow these rules, do the good thing, for everybody who will give up that game of performance and instead transfer their complete trust to King Jesus to be their Savior, for everyone who believes by faith alone in his death, burial, and resurrection as the way to be pleasing to God, there's good news. That he is enough. And that little gospel in a nutshell is what makes verse 6 like theological whiplash. Okay? He lays out this good news. And then out of nowhere, he's like, I'm amazed. Right? It's like one word after another. That you are so quickly turning away from him. Not just from the gospel, but deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and is turning to a different gospel. Here's that, uh, also verse 7, here's that, not that there is another gospel, but here's where the Judaizers come in. There are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. Now, who would want to do that? What is this different gospel? As I said, the Judaizers were saying, look, to truly please God, you Gentile Christians must also follow the law of Moses as we Jewish Christians do. Paul later is going to point out a couple motives. That, that For one thing, the Judaizers may have done this because, in a way, they get the best of both worlds. The... The, the young church there was being persecuted by Jews, right? Like Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul. And so they're being persecuted by these Jews because, look, you guys are a cult. You're a, you're a sect, you know? And so they, they were coming to persecute. The Judaizers could now, they could be leaders in this burgeoning movement, okay? They could be, they could be like leaders in this little church and also avoid persecution from the Jews because, look, we're turning everybody into Jews, see? Win-win. We're making them Jewish. See, we're not, a, we're not a crazy cult. We're forcing them. They can sort of like have it both ways. And Paul's saying they're just doing this to please people. And that's why in verse 10, in fact, he says, am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be always getting hated on so much. I'm clearly preaching that you don't have to do these things. And more deeply than that, more deeply than the motives of the Judaizers, as I said earlier, we love to be our own saviors. And that gospel I just spelled out for you about how we need to be rescued, that gospel is toxic to our pride. You know, it will crush our pride. We do nothing to participate in our right standing before God. If salvation has any origin in us at all, we can boast a brag a little. Instead, it's all him. Now, I've said over and over that this comes up each and every generation. Uh, I, I could give you a couple examples, three examples here of, uh, uh, real quick, of how, what would Judaizing look like in 2015? So say, say Paul were writing, you know, Middle Islandia. Middle Islandia, that's probably a real town here. I don't, but, uh, right, say he was writing to the churches of the Suffolk County area. What would, what would Judaizer look like in a modern day? The most obvious example, and therefore probably the most harmless, because you would see it a mile away, would be this. Churches that are extremely intolerant of small differences in dress or custom. Okay? That would be an example maybe of modern day Judaizer. So in other words, oh, you guys, you guys believe in Jesus? You're a church? Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, we all dress like this in this church. <clears throat> and if you don't dress like this, I'm not saying you're not saved, but 
you know, get used to condemnation for eternity, right? Or, oh, you know we all talk like this, right? And, and we know you need to do this. And, and the way you schedule your time, very controlling, you hear the legalism here, you need to do it only this way. There's about mm, one way to relate to God, and it's my way, and the way I do it. And so if you don't have, you know, here's how you have a proper quiet time, and if you don't have it this way, you're really not having a quiet time at all. Here's how you, you know, can connect with God in your devotional life. And if you're not doing the devotional life this way, I'm sorry, you're just not doing it. You, you hear all that, Right? That's modern day. That would be a modern day. That There's one right way. The way you eat, the way you dress, all these, these outward things. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were picking on dress, diet, and ritual observances because those are the things that you could measure easily. And as long as we're the church that does these things, we're good to go. You see? Modern day. The gospel, of course, sets us free from that old law. And it also sets us free from any new law, like law 2.0. I think that's the least dangerous of modern day churches because it's the most obvious, you know? I think if you were a part of that for a little while, you'd be like, wait a minute, this is just blatant legalism. I'm out of here, okay? So that's why I think it's probably the, the most harmless. More subtle would be kind of the modern liberal churches, which would say, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe so long as you're a good person. See, that's what counts. Just be a good person and then you'll get into heaven, right? That's another form of modern-day Judaism. Here's what, I mean. Here's what I mean. On the one hand, that sounds really open and tolerant. That sounds very open-minded. I mean, who wouldn't want to say that? Like, honestly, it doesn't matter what you believe or who you believe in or Jesus or anything. As long as you're a, a good and loving person, you'll be good to go. You get into heaven. On the one hand, you think, man, I want that. That's really open-minded. But when you start to press on that, you realize it's actually very intolerant of grace in important ways. For one, if you ever hear somebody say that, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's, you know, as long as you're a good and loving person, then you should raise your hand and be like, so for bad people, there's no hope. It sounds so open-minded, but it's exclusive. It's exclusive of bad people. So when somebody says, well, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter what you believe, just don't be a jerk. Well, what hope is there for the jerks? Because I know so many. I'm related to them. And when the New York Times writers so, when Gawker Media so, the thing they hate the most is anything that's exclusive and intolerant. And when they say in their high and mighty stature, how dare we be exclusive and intolerant, doesn't matter your beliefs, just be a good person. Can't they see how exclusive and intolerant it is and a direct contradiction with my good news, which in Matthew 22 says both good and bad are welcome at this feast. This is good news for the bad. This is inclusive, huh? This is everything that the New York Times accuses my church of being, they're being, and I'm not, in a burst of irony. The other, the other way it's intolerant, it's intolerant of, of grace. See, if you can earn your own salvation by being, people think, well, I'll get in because I'm good and loving, and how tolerant I am toward others, that's what makes me right with God. Who needs the cross? Who needs Jesus? They don't need grace. They're good on their own, you see. It's modern-day Judaizing. That's all it is. And beloved, don't, don't do it. Don't fall for it. It's like these are dangerous times. The church is weightless in some places. We're, it's like we're a leaf, you know, uh, barely hanging onto the vine, blown away by every wind of doctrine. And it's like Paul is calling these people together and telling them, beloved, don't you ever let anyone tell you that there's anything you need but me, just Jesus. Don't let anyone tell you there's anything you need but Jesus alone. There's no, there's no greater treasures, greater blessing, greater reward than my body and blood given freely to all daughters and sons. And he's pulling close saying, don't let anybody poison you 
with this Jesus plus. And in my tradition, I save the most dangerous for last because it's my own. In evangelicalism, it's, well, you know you've been, been saved by grace. That's good and all. But it's, it's, it's through your faith. And the emphasis, little by little, becomes your faith. Like, you know, people who are truly saved are deeply sorry for their sins. Have you felt bad enough to earn God's love yet? I mean, I know you felt a little bad, but were you real? I mean, did you really feel bad? Do you continue to feel bad? How bad do you feel each day? Because if you don't feel bad enough, you know, do you hunger for God? Do you really hunger for God? Because if you're not hungry enough, you know, or, well, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm just saying if you want to stay saved, you know. You have to manufacture this love for God, this hunger for God. What's the point of that? The point, little by little, becomes your performance is what keeps you saved, not God's performance, right? I would love to be carrying around the baby one day and be able to get inside the mind of a baby. Sorry, I would love to get inside the mind of a baby at all times. That would be awesome. The person who invents that, it's done. That's the best. But, it, to, but to think inside a baby, right, and I'm holding the baby on a particularly dangerous, what's the most dangerous street in America? Say, Queens Boulevard. And I'm... <laughs> You know, because you have to cross like 30 lanes and it's, you know, you're just frogger. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm hold, and I would just love to get inside the mind of a kid. It looks like a lot of modern evangelical Christians and hear like, oh man, if I, if I let go for one second, if I let go of this big guy who's always hanging around, they call him dad. If I let go of him for one second, I'm toast. And so they're just straining to hold on to you, right? And you'd say, well, I love it when you're little baby fingers claw into me, but you got to be kidding me if you think that what keeps you safe is your ability to hold on to me. You've got this all backwards, right? It's like being in the palm of God's hand going, ah, I'm letting go. <laughs> God's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it may feel that way, but <laughs> I'm free falling. <laughs> sure that's theologically true so what would you need to rest assured in your salvation let me ask you is faith alone enough is his grace alone enough trusting in his word alone listen to those words faith alone grace alone his word alone that's what galatians still cries out after all these years you're safe not because you think you're safe or because you've done really good things to keep yourself safe you're safe because he says you're safe is a terrifying story that's been attributed to A.W. Tozer. I've never heard him say it. I couldn't find it anywhere where he wrote it. But the guy who told me uh, scared me to death, and he said, A.W. Tozer said that. So that's, I, for what it's worth. Guy supposedly comes to A.W. Tozer, businessman, always in control, you know, a strong Christian in his church, and he confesses to him, I'm doubting my salvation. I have no assurance of salvation. And Tozer says, what would make you certain of salvation? You know the promises of Scripture. He says, I don't know. I do know them, but I, I don't know. He says, so, so maybe you're saying they're not enough? He goes, well, I don't know how to say it. I just know I don't, I don't believe. He looks at me and said, if an angel from heaven right now came down beside this desk, looked at you, and said, you're saved because I just came down from heaven, and I've heard you are saved, would that be enough? The guy was like, well, yeah, I, I guess that would do it, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess that would. Tozer says, then can you imagine when you close your eyes in death, wake up in hell, and that angel says, surprise, I disguised as an angel of light. You based your salvation on something other than the word of God. You're not, and I was like, ah! you know, I heard that. But I didn't mean to scare everybody, but 
That's Paul's point. He said, look, if I don't, you're not saved because I told you. If, we, if an angel from heaven should come and preach some gospel that you need to do something different than what you've heard, it still doesn't change the old good news that you've heard from day one. You're saved because of what he has done, not because me or an angel from heaven or anybody else said this new, new gospel where you have, to, you, have to, you, know, you have to believe in Jesus, but you have to, you have to do something, you know, a little something else to earn it as well. He said, I don't care who tells you that. Well, Paul... You, you're obviously just excited, and you're just overblowing it a little bit. You're being a little dramatic. Take some time after verse 8 and calm down. He does. And in verse 9, he says, as we've said before, I just want to say again, if anyone preaches, he says the same thing again. He, it means that much to him because his people are so dear to him, and he doesn't want them to believe that they have to walk in any fear and any guilt and any condemnation. He wants them to know they can give up performing for God. And he wants them to know our only hope for a right standing before a holy God is Jesus. And we have that hope. It's as sure as his promises. You believe it or you don't. There is no middle ground. And for all who believe, they are received fully into the kingdom of God. Period. Full stop. Beyond anything you've done or could do. We are kept. By faith alone, through his grace alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the freedom that is proclaimed in the simple good news of justification by faith. We thank you, Lord, for this book. We thank you for, for the letter to the Galatians. And we thank you, God, that early in the life of the church, when this crept in, you, through the Apostle Paul's, snuffed it out so quickly. The stakes were so high, and, and the implications for all of us for these thousands of years. And we thank you that you preserved the fragile freedom that's so easily perverted, so easily squandered, so easily abused, and yet here it is, freedom. So Father, grant to us that sense of glorious freedom as we walk through this dynamite letter to the Galatians. Grant to us a sense of freedom. That we are justified freely by what you have done. That we believe more. That we repent of trying to earn our good favor with you by through some work or some performance. But that we rest in your performance knowing what you have done is enough. podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.